0: Welcome, I'm Connor Beaton, and this is The Man Talk Show. Training for men and answers for women. Joining me today is Mr. Sylvester McNutt, and uh, he's an incredible author, writer, uh, poet that I have been following on online on the Instagram for quite a long time, and I really admire his work. He's dived, uh, dove into uh, a bunch of different topics, and uh, today we're going to go deep in on the topic of alignment how to create that alignment, how to find a deeper sense of purpose through alignment. And we end up uh, navigating through that for quite a while and then getting on to the topic of relationship dynamics at the end of the show. So just a little bit about Sylvester. Uh, he's been an author for quite a while now. Uh, to date, uh, he has authored eight books, which is quite impressive. Uh, most notable in the best-selling works uh, are the books Care Package and Lust for Life and and free your energy. Last year in 2019, he released his eighth book, "Free Your Energy," and started the "Free Your Energy" podcast. Professionally, he plans to author three books between 2020 and 2021, launch a life coaching uh, portal that which will allow people to uh, transform their mindsets, and uh, and he's just it really I can't say enough about his writing. He really is quite a gifted writer, um, especially when it comes to. You know, simple topics of personal development how to how to be able to find things like alignment, which we talk about on this on this podcast and show. Uh, Sylvester has a child on the way in March, a son, and uh, he really enjoys his family life. He talks a little bit about his upbringing and what it was like to grow up in Chicago in the eighties and nineties. So we uh, we go into that a little bit, but mainly this podcast is about what it looks like to create alignment in your life, and I think this is a topic that's not only important, but I've heard a lot of people talk about lately. And the word alignment gets thrown around a lot. Um, I've seen a lot of men that come out to our weekends, a lot of women that I've worked with one-on-one and in our retreats who are constantly saying, like, I want to be more aligned, but I don't actually know what the heck that actually means. Like, how do I create more alignment? How do I know when I'm out of alignment? How do I build alignment? Because uh, what most people will tell you, most people that are, are very sort of like quote-unquote successful in life and business is that they have a deep sense of alignment with their work corresponding with their gifts and their passions. And so this podcast is all about how to remove the blocks from alignment in your life and how to cultivate a deeper sense of it. Uh, so just before I bring Sylvester onto the show, quick reminder, uh, we have the Men's Weekend in June that's coming up in upstate New York. Uh, Vienna and I have a retreat that is happening in April as well in upstate New York. That is a co-ed retreat. Um, It's a deep dive into shadow work and relational development. So uh, if you're looking for that, definitely head on over to New York Couples Counseling and check that out. And uh, we have one final spot left in the men's weekend. So if you've been considering joining us on the men's weekend, then I would definitely uh, encourage you to head on over to connorbeaton.com. Check out the men's weekend there. Uh, And I guess that's it for right now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And thanks for all the the new listeners. Um, Oh, big, big, big thank you to everyone. We reached a million downloads uh, just recently. And that to me feels like just an incredible accomplishment. I think uh, the average podcast apparently only has 14 episodes and then they, you know, they sort of retire <laughs> after that. And so it is no joke. Putting on a podcast is no joke. Um, I spend hours and hours every single week uh, curating the guests, curating the content, the conversations, uh, studying how to interview and be better so that you have a, an easier listen on these shows. Uh, But I just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you for sharing the show, for being a part of it, whether you've listened since the very uh, inception episode, or you are just joining for the first time. Thank you so much for being a part of this community, a part of this conversation. And I hope that you share this podcast and more moving forward, especially with the people in your life that could use them most. So without any further delay, please welcome Mr. Sylvester McNutt III.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: Yeah, man, it's a it's a pleasure. I've been following your work for a while, and uh, you know, really love your writing, love what you're putting out into the world. And so, it's uh, it's an honor to have you on the show. Uh, you know, I think I think Mark Mark Groves beat me to it, which <laughs> you know, I feel like him and I are we're we're best friends, but we're we still have that competitive edge. And I was like, oh man, when I saw that he had you on the show, it's like, damn it, it's so funny.
1: Because I, I feel the same way with, with my best guy friend, like, even though it's a healthy relationship, it's like, we're always trying to compete with each other to, uh, you know, not not to like put each other down, but to one up each other, you know, to like rise each other up to that next level. So I totally understand.
0: Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, let's let's dive in. I, I always ask the same question uh, to all my guests, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today.
1: Oh, man, that's a great question to start with. Definitely um, a lot of defining moments. Um, how about I give you two? How about I give you one from a younger version of me, and I'll give you one from a more recent. The first thing that comes to mind is when I was a younger guy, I realized that I had some type of talent, but I wasn't 100% sure what, what that talent was. And I remember going to my high school football coach and I thought, you know, I played football. I really thought my talent was going to be as an athlete, um, as a football player, you know, I had the dreams of wanting to play in the NFL. Like I'm pretty sure every other kid who loved football did, uh, you know, an American kid. I, I, I had a very arrogant move. What I said, I went to my coach and I said, Hey coach, you know, every school we have, a you know, a hall of fame, like a wall of fame. I said, Coach, my my pitcher, my football pitcher is going to be up here on this, on this Hall of Fame with all these guys who came before me. And, you know, they put their blood, sweat and tears down and I'm going to be up here, too. And, um, you know, that's kind of an arrogant thing to say as a 16-year-old kid. My coach didn't like that. He didn't like it because I hadn't put the work in yet. I hadn't earned such a claim. I wasn't even trending in that direction to to make a claim. I was new. I was fresh. I was I was just getting my feet wet. And it's a defining moment because one of the things that I try to, try to teach my readers and my listeners and my podcast is to try to find the duality in everything and try to not make everything about every story you go through about you and your perspective alone. So obviously in that moment, my coach gave me a lot of negative feedback and he challenged me and he pushed back. Uh, who do you think you are to say something like that? Do you know what these guys have done? And, you know, he went on and on and on. And of course, when that happened, you know, initially I was, you know, I was hurt. I felt like he didn't believe in me. I felt like he didn't want to encourage me. I felt like he wasn't a good leader. I was, I was just so, I remember being so hurt by that. But now that I'm older and I'm able to see the duality of the moment, I'm able to see both sides of it. What I'm able to see when I look at that 16 year old version of me is that kid, he had belief in himself and he knew, you know, he knew he could do something great. He knew he could, he could impact people. He knew he could create some type of memory or create some type of moments with people. And that coach, he knew it too, but he knew that I needed to be challenged and that I needed to put in effort, and that I needed to do the work, and that nothing in life was gonna be easy. And he challenged me then and there. And I remember him saying, who do you you think you are? What have you done? And that was really a turning point in my life because that lesson really taught me, it's not about what you say. It, It really is about the work that you're doing. It's really about pursuing the work and putting in the effort. And, you know, I have a tattoo on my left arm. It says SHIELD. And, um, you know, each letter stands for, you know, it's an acronym. Each letter stands for something. But the E uh, stands for effort. And I feel like at that moment, that moment really taught me that no matter what I want to do in life, no matter what goal I have, no matter where I want to go, you know, I may get there. I may not. I I really don't even think that's the point we should be focusing on. But I think we should focus on the effort uh, and focus on doing the work. And we should focus on the journey, focus on the path of what it's going to take for you to get there. And um, it's OK. It's OK if you don't get there. You know, my my uh, my football picture will never be in any Hall of Fame because, you know, that's just not how my career turned out. But I can not say that I did the work. I can't say that I really, really tried hard uh, as far as learning. Learning the plays, learning learning tendencies, learning how to execute certain routes, learning my teammates, and um, you know I may, I may never go down as a Hall of Fame at my high school as far as like the stats, but I know for a fact that I had an impact on people um, in my neighborhood and in my community. I still have friendships from that football team, still have an impact on my high school to this day, you know, and that was twenty years ago. And that's really because from that point forward, I realized, you know, I was making, I was making my life about the result. I was so focused on the end result, which a lot of adults do. You know, you focus on the end result. Like, oh, I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, I'm going to be an NFL player. or I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be, you know, all, you, you know, all the things people say. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to win a bikini contest. I'm going to win a bodybuilding contest. You know, whatever, you know, nothing wrong with having those dreams. But that moment really taught me to focus on the work. And to focus on the journey and to fall in love with the process. So now, with those same examples, um, just learning the duality of it, I would say it, uh, you know, instead of, hey, I'm ready to win a bodybuilding con- competition, is, man, I'm ready to dedicate myself five or six days a week to bodybuilding. You know, or if you want to, instead of saying, oh, I want to be a best selling author, or I want to have a best selling book, which a lot of people come and say to me, they're like, oh, I want to make a best selling book. Can you help me? I can't help you. I can't help you. But what you can do is say, I want to dedicate myself to writing. I want to dedicate myself to the to the process of writing a book. I want to dedicate myself to the to the path of becoming an author. You know, same thing if, you know, I want to have the number one podcast in America. That's the wrong target. That's the wrong goal. That's not that's not what you want to aim for. In my opinion, you want to aim for and focus on the work. You know what? I'm about to get 10 guests on my podcast this month and I'm going to dive deep. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them speak. I'm going to let them open up. And every 10 per, every ten people I talk to, I'm going to ask them for two or three people that they think I should talk to. And I just want to dive deep. And I want to study people who have been in broadcast for 50, 60 years. And I want to see what makes them great. And um, that's that's really what that story taught me is to focus on the process and the path and not so much the end result. Um, the second story well, I'll tell you is from... A little older, uh, a little older version of me, and it's the moment when I realized that I wanted to. To uh, so people who don't know me, I've, I've been an entrepreneur for eight years now, full time, and I had a great career after after college football. I got into sales, and I was doing sales, and then they promoted me into sales management because I was a high performer, and. It was during my third or fourth year. I was only there four years, so it was during about the third or fourth year in my sales role. I was in sales management that I realized I was not fulfilled. Um, uh, I was making good good money at the time. I was making um, about seventy to eighty thousand, and I just wanted to walk away from it, man. It was um, it was draining. Like I was working so much, it was affecting my relationship. It was affecting me, you know. I was, I was gaining weight, and that's really tough for an athlete, you know, high performance athlete. To you know, you look in the mirror and you're just you're gaining weight in places that you've never seen before. And, you know, really affected my mental health, and I just wasn't fulfilled. And I knew there was there was this talent brewing inside of me to to write books and you know to be a speaker, and I wanted to activate that, but I really didn't know how. Like I, I just didn't know how. I was waiting for. I guess the right opportunity to, to share that, that, that space that's inside of me. And, um, it kind of got triggered one day. I was killing it at work, man. I I really can't stress you enough, like top 1% performer in my company, getting awards, getting promoted quickly on a fast track, uh, to eventually become a district manager, which was my goal. District manager would have been a role uh, that I would have embraced, would have, uh, managed about 3 to 400 employees in a sector in a, in a sector of the company and you know just driving the culture and driving the sales and, and, and the customer customer retention and all of that you know training i was really focused on that you know just climbing the cor- climbing the corporate ladder and, and and making a home in that company and i love that company i'm never you know sometimes i think entrepreneur takes for granted their work experience i never want to do that like i had a great work experience but uh, my, my brother, he came over to my house and I had about 18 or 19 notebooks. Now, if you take out a notebook, there's 80 pages, college rule notebook. There's 80 pages. The margin is on the left. You're going to have a top margin. There's going to be about 32 or 33 lines, like red or blue lines, depending on the type of notebook. And that's where you write within those lines. I had those notebooks filled front to back. I had about 18 or 19 of them. And. You know, my brother. He's at my house, and he's like, what, "What? What's What's in those notebooks? What What are those?" And you know, I had being an athlete, I had a lot of shame at this point. I didn't want to share poetry and stories and quotes and writings and introspection and all the things that were in the notebook. I didn't want to share that. You know, um, I just had a lot of shame at that point in my life, so. You know, me and my brother were just over there. We're having drinks at my house. And he's like, OK, you, you need to show me what's, what's in these notebooks. You need to show me. So reluctantly, I'm just like, all right, man, I'll show you fine. So I open the notebook and I show him. you know, I have all these novels written, stories. I have self-help book ideas. And I just start reading him things. I mean, we sat in those notebooks. It was the first time I ever opened my notebooks to anybody. And we sat there for about two hours. My brother, he's not an emotional person. He's very stoic. He's very, very stoic. Uh, it's one of the most emotional moments I've ever seen. That moment when he got married and when his daughter was born. I mean, he wasn't even emotional when he graduated college. He didn't even care. So <laughs> when I read um, the stuff from the notebook, he I just saw this like overwhelming emotion come over him. And he's just like, Sly, you have to get this out. You have to get this out. If you don't share this with the world, you will be doing us a disservice. You have to get this off of your chest. You have to share it. And he he says, I know you think the company you're at is you're going to be there for 20, 30 years, but I don't think so. I think as hard as you go for them, as much work as you, you do for them, as much effort as you give to them, you need to do that for yourself. You need to do that for these books that you've written. You need to do that for these novels. And you need to start today. And it was like, oh, it was such an amazing feeling. I actually, I have like goosebumps thinking about it. For, for someone to like just believe in me, you know, and, and and I didn't really believe in myself at that moment as a writer, but he believed in me, and he encouraged me, and he pushed me. He said, "You need to do this." He was so adamant uh, about me doing it. And those notebooks, I mean, they had been collected over years uh, because it was an everyday practice for me. Writing was an everyday practice, and. Once he did that, once he did that, the very next day, I went through the notebooks and I determined, I said, "Okay, you know what, let me let me get my first book out. Um, And from that, it took me about 60 days and I just put out a short story, um, a novella is what those are called. I put out a novella on um, Amazon time frame. This is about 2000. And I believe it's like 2011, 2002, something like that. I'm sorry, 2011, 2012. And I put out a novella. And for so, like, I didn't have any social media. I didn't have any marketing. There was no marketing plan, nothing like that. I literally just wrote the book. I wrote about 10,000 words. Um, I designed the cover and then I just put it on Amazon. So then people started buying it. And I was just like, whoa, I didn't actually want, even want to buy it. I just wanted to like, get it done, you know? And so I went back to him and I told him, I said, hey man, people are buying this, this story I wrote. So I took him the story and he read it. And he says, okay, where's the rest of the book? And I said, oh, well, it's a novella. A novella is just like a short story. He said, no, 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 no. That's not what I told you to do. Like, you need to write books. You don't need to write stories. A story you can get me wrapped in, but I need a book. I need a book from your mind. And I was like, okay, okay, so, all right. (laughs) So, like, I kind of, like, go back to the drawing board. And it was, like, that at that moment that I said, okay, I need to be an author. I don't need to, like, write a book. I need to be an author. And um, I, I'm really grateful for those two two moments, man. The, the football coach who, who, did a, who did a lot for me, he did a lot for me. And my brother, who is still in my life and still continues uh, to do a lot to me. And uh, he really inspires me, pushes me.
0: Love it, man. I mean, it's such a, I think the interesting thing that stands out to me just at the end of what you were saying there, and I think I may have said this on the show before, but you know, one of the defining moments in my life is when one of my mentors, you know, came to me and I'll never forget what he said. He said, sometimes it just takes having somebody in your life that believes more in you than you do in yourself at that present moment. And I think from what I heard you saying is that you, you sort of have these like two moments where you have somebody... One challenging you. And then secondly, the other one not only challenging you, but saying, you know, I believe in you, in your artistry, and your skill set, maybe a little bit more than than you do right now. I can see your possibility. I can see your potential and, and what you're what you're capable of creating. And so I'm I'm curious, like, you know, you talked about belief when we started off this podcast. And I think one of the most integral things that that people struggle with is this idea of belief and this idea of uh, you know, struggling with the, uh, I'm not good enough. I think you wrote about it in one of your books that I'm not good enough mindset. And so is that something that you battled with? Like, did you ever have that? I'm not good enough mindset or, or did you like, you know, were you just surrounded by people who were constantly challenging you and pushing you forward, uh, you know, to be able to achieve, like what, what was, what was little Sylvester's childhood like, you know, where you pushed or what was that like for you?
1: Uh, yeah. So yeah, I did write about that in my in my last book, Free Your Energy. The very first chapter is uh, breaking up. It's called breaking up with the I am not good enough mindset. And the whole principle, the whole premise is that in order to free your energy, to be free, to be free from negative thinking, to be free from pain, to be free from childhood trauma, to be free from limited thinking, to be free from laziness is you have to break up with feeling like I am not good enough. That's step number one. And then I built the whole book off of that idea. So personally, uh, I can definitely say that there have been moments in my life where I didn't feel like I wasn't good enough uh, for a situation, but that was always temporary for me because I've always been confident. I've always believed in myself and I've always believed in that I can do this. Anything that I've set my mind to, I've always believed that, like, all right, this is possible. I can do it. I can do this. But I know that sometimes I'm not good enough on my own uh, with what I have. And what that has caused me to do is to just pursue knowledge, to pursue help, to pursue partnerships, to pursue, you know, for example, like in college, I had some classes that were really hard. So I knew that I wasn't good enough on my own with what I had, but that the resources were available to me for me to become good enough. So that's why I went to see a tutor, you know, even today. Perfect example is today. You know, I'm a best-selling author of eight books. I have another book on the way. I have, you know, a huge audience of readers. But literally today I text one of my best friends and I sent her something that I'm writing. It was just a short paragraph. And she's an English teacher. And I said, Amanda, I just cannot get this paragraph right. I feel like there's too many words. Can you can you look at this? You know, so all day we've been texting about this one paragraph, just trying to trying to get it right. So even a situation like that, like that paragraph is not good enough for my standards. It's not good enough for where I want it to be, but I'm willing to get help and I'm willing to, to let other people in. And I think that's why so many people struggle with not feeling good enough is they're not willing to let people in. It's okay to not be good enough for something. Mo- most of us aren't. I mean, if you told me to go, go play LeBron James one-on-one in basketball, do you think I'm about to beat him? No, no matter <laughs> what, I, it's not going to happen. But I could maybe get a basket. But if I actually studied basketball and trained basketball and got a trainer, I might be able to get a basket or two on him. And in my opinion, that would be good enough because this might be the greatest basketball player of all time. I don't expect to be him. But if I could get a basket on him, I, I could write a book about getting a basket on LeBron James, you know, and to me, that's good enough. So I, I just want people to to really understand that not being good enough is, is really fine. Like it's really it's not an issue because, like, how many experts are there in the world? Like, who's really an expert? Even, even the quote-unquote experts are always learning. Even the quote-unquote scholars are always learning. So this idea that we're supposed to just know everything or be all-knowing and be completely knowledgeable in everything, like, that's a false idea. That's why people have so many insecurities is you're not, you're not okay with not knowing. See, I'm okay with not knowing. I'm okay with being confused. I'm okay with understanding that it's a process. I'm okay with asking for help. And I think that's how you you fix the feeling of not good enough. But you asked me, how was I as a child? It depends, man. My childhood was, like the narrative of my childhood depended on what time period we were at. So when I was first born, um, you know, I was, I'm the oldest and my parents were healthy. They were young. They were healthy and happy. We moved around a little bit. We traveled. Uh, I remember my parents being mostly happy when I was young, up until about six or seven. Then my sister came, and then their relationship started to change. Uh, and I remember it. I remember observing it because I remember I'm a very intuitive person. I'm a very, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a thinker, yes, but I'm a feeler. I'm a very intuitive feeler. And I could just sense and I could just feel that things were changing in the household. Now, obviously, I, I didn't know the words that I just used at the time, but I just remember the feeling. And then around the age of ten, that's when a lot of dysfunction came into my household. Um, that's when my parents started drinking. They started to become emotional abuse, physical abuse. They started fighting each other. A lot of times when people tell those stories, it's usually like the man is hitting the woman. Now, that, my mom was going crazy too. <laughs> like it was, it was both of my parents. They were just at each other's neck. They were fighting, um, arguing, and you know, just ended up. And it, it literally went from a perfect house. To, okay, we have some issues, to what the hell, I'm about to run away. And I I literally ran away from home um, because I didn't want to be at home at that point by the time I got to be like 12 years old. And, you know, it's, you asked me what it was like. So that's kind of like what it was like up until about 12. But they both, both of my parents did push me. They both, they both challenged me. See, my mom, she's a perfectionist. My mom is a very professional. She, she used to work in, um, she was an executive assistant. So, you know, you have an assistant, anyone here who, who knows the role of executive assistant, you have to be very punctual. You have to be very good with following up. You have to be very good on the phone. You have to have, you know, very good uh, communication skills like top notch. Those are some of the, the skill sets you need. So that was my mom. So my mom would, she had high expectations of me. She would listen to the way I would talk, the way I would speak, and she would correct me in front right in front of other people. If I ever tried to use slang, or if I said something like, you know, like that, like, you know, she would correct me. And she would say, That's not proper English. Don't speak that way. You need to say, you know, or do you know what I'm do you know what I mean? She would correct my slang and make it full sentences. Which I'm grateful for because that helps me as a writer, because <laughs> you know, I grew up around kids who use slang just like every every generation of kids they use some type of English slang that's that's native to their generation but my mom would always correct it now my dad he was in the United States Army so you know being a military guy you know this man was up at like four thirty in the morning every morning and he's expecting me to get up and it's <laughs> like dude I'm a kid I'm trying to sleep <laughs> why are you waking me up at you know five o'clock to clean you know so my dad would wake me up um, he would get up at 4.30 and 5, and he would do his routine. And then once he was done with his routine, he would wake me up. So now I'm up at you know 5.30 or 6. And instead of just lounging and watching cartoons, which, yes, I did get to do, it was always, uh, hey, you need to go sweep. OK, you need to go mop. Nope, you need to go for a walk outside. You need to go stretch. You need to clean this fish tank. We used to have a fish tank with a bunch of different fish. Clean this fish tank. Hey, we're about to go to the car wash. My dad would take me to the car wash at like 630 in the morning. Like, what are we doing here? Like, why are we literally, I used to ask him, why are we at the car wash? And he would always say, you need to get up. You need to get after your goals. You need to get things done. And I remember saying to him one time, like, this isn't my goal. I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to wash it. This isn't even my car. I can't even drive. And he said, this is your car. You get to school in this car. You get your gro- you get groceries in this car. If something happens to you and we got to take you to the hospital, it's going to be in this car. So this is your car. And so my dad, my dad is it's so funny, my dad really was big on keep the house clean, make your bed as soon as you wake up, brush your teeth, self-care as soon as like as soon as you wake up, self-care, get some food in your system right away, healthy food. My dad was a chef too. And then my mom was really big on you need to make sure you're mindful of how you speak. You need to listen when other people talk. You need to be great at oration as well as, as writing. And they, they pushed me. They they wouldn't let me, like my parents, they didn't let me settle. They didn't let me. My mom, when I would come home from school, I would try to get through my homework real quick. She wouldn't let me. She would sit me down at the table and she would look at every single question, every single answer. She would look at how I wrote everything. And I mean, it was tough, man. It was really hard to be be around parents who expected you know excellence, but that's I, I think that's also why I've always had confidence in myself, in different situations because they push me to to know you know to my limits. Really, they push me past my limits. Honestly,
0: yeah. I mean, it, you know, I think one of the powerful things that I hear you you talking about a lot is this like concept of of alignment. You know, it sounds like you had had people in your life that were that were pushing you, that were challenging you, that were really calling you back to being in alignment with your potential, with your possibilities, with your capacities. And I'm wondering if you could just speak a little bit on alignment, because I think one of the things that I hear a lot of men, a lot of women saying in their lives right now is that they feel like they're lacking a sense of direction and purpose, And one of the things that I always talk about is that it's going to be almost impossible to find a sense of purpose if if you're out of alignment. And so alignment is like one of the core foundational principles for me, at least, uh, when it comes to purpose. And so how do you feel like people need to start building alignment in their life? Like, where do they start if they feel out of alignment?
1: Well, I'm totally in alignment with you, with your core principles, because you 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 just naturally brought up my very first chapter of my Free Your Energy book, but my very first chapter of the book that came before that, my best-selling book to date is called Care Package, A Path to Deep Healing. The very first chapter is a alignment. Uh, that's one of my core principles as well. And I just got off the phone with one of my life coaching clients, and what he was talking about was, you know, he's doing well in his career, 32 years old, and what he was talking about is... He's starting to not feel fulfilled because he's doing a job that he's passionate about, but there's they're starting to uh, they're starting to take roles and they're starting to take jobs on that they don't he doesn't really align with. So just to go a little level deeper so it makes complete sense, he works in photography and videography. And with that, you know, you're documenting different things. You're essentially a storyteller. You're, you know, you can you can do models or you could do fitness people. You could do kids. You could do high school, you know, yearbook portraits. Um, or you could get into to documentary style things where, you know, you're documenting things about, say, the food industry or legislation or, you know, maybe a, an oppressed people or you're telling like a great story. Or what's happening for him is he's doing documentary work. And he's filming uh, events, but he just did an event with a company. And they really were just kind of exploiting it it, it, to him. He said it felt like they were exploiting people's efforts, you know, in the company. And the whole award show was about what they bought and how much money they made. Uh, And it wasn't really about, you know, the impact they had on the community or the culture. And he just came back to contrast that last month. He did a documentary in another country. Uh, he was in Peru, actually, and he got to really get with the indigenous people, and he got to learn about the culture of Peru. They got to learn about how things were built there, and just really sit with those people and hear those stories. So you have that contrast where you're doing something fulfilling, like you're 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 diving deep into telling people's story who have no voice. You're being the voice for the voiceless, and then now a month later. You're sitting in a an assembly hall and people are talking about their Range Rovers and their Gucci bags and all this money they made in their condos. And it's just like those are two opposite, opposite experiences. And for them to happen in one month, and for you to really love one, and then the other, you're just like, oh, this is stressing me out. I don't want to be here. I'm thinking about leaving a job. And what that told me, and I had this conversation with him this morning, is that he is out of alignment. And For it, I'll just stick to his specific structure. And then the listeners, I think, are smart enough to take the advice and tailor it to their own experience. I told him that the very first thing he needs to to do is to have an introspective conversation with himself. In that conversation, he needs to ask himself not what you want to do because he might not know. So don't focus on what you want because you might not know. But what you do need to focus on is what do you not want? You clearly left that award show feeling uncomfortable, feeling drained, feeling uninspired. What is it about that show that you don't want? So ask yourself in your own experience, what do you not want? It's like if you're trying to run a 5K and you're 270 pounds, it might take you an hour to run that because you have so much weight. But if you start running a 5K and you start training, you start eating good and you get down to, say, 215, you most likely will be able to move quicker. You, you, you'll you finish the, the race quicker. And that's what I was telling him is that you need to ask yourself what you don't like, what you don't want to deal with, what does not align with you so you can shed that weight, so you can get slimmer, so you can make your life more minimal and more more intentional. I don't ever think you should focus on, at the start, I don't ever think you should focus on what you want because you might not know. And you don't wanna aim for what you want, not knowing. You wanna aim for, let me get rid of what I don't want. Because then that allows you to get clarity. That allows you to align uh, a lot easier because you know, I don't don't wanna have these conversations anymore. I can't hang out with people who are doing these behaviors anymore. This one thing that I'm doing that is causing me this stress, I need to stop doing this. And, and once you once you make a list, I told them to make a list of five things, uh, you know, conversations or people, uh, things from within. Once you kind of make that list of I need to stop doing this, it becomes so much easier and, and clearer to get in alignment. Now, to add to that, it's very possible that you can be totally aligned in the job and then be out of alignment in a relationship. You could be in alignment with your children and then totally out of alignment with your job. I don't believe it's ever going to be a, a a situation where you feel like everything is 100% aligned all of the time. And I personally think that that's okay. I think that sometimes you can give your best, you know, to, to your family. Sometimes you can give your best to, to your career. Sometimes you can give your best to your health. I think that sometimes... Everything may not be in perfect alignment. But what what I personally like to do is I want to be the best that I can be in each category. And sometimes that means I can't give as much. So, for example, when I was working at my corporate job, they wanted me to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And that was taken away from my health. So what I learned from that experience is that I cannot work that much and that I need to be working about 30 to 35 hours a week max. If I give myself 30 to 35 hours a week max, then I can get my five to six workouts per week. I can also get my seven to eight hours of sleep. There's plenty of time for me left for for my relationship and my hobbies. So for me to come into alignment in my personal experience, I had to realize that a 40-hour work week was never going to work for me. And honestly, I don't even work 30 hours a week now. I probably probably work 25 to 30. So I had to realize that the obsessive working and the feeling that I need to work so much was not in alignment for me. To touch base on relationships, when I also had that job, I I was with someone and I, I just want to speak compassionately about her because any person I've ever dated, I love still to this day. I have so much love for any any woman that I've dated. And like I don't want to speak negatively or, or anything about it. But and I do want to give her her credit because she knew how much I, I was out of alignment. She knew how I just hated the job, especially because the job took all of my time. And then I couldn't work on my passion projects that eventually now is my career. But she was not supportive of what I wanted to do. When I told her I wanted to quit my $70,000, $80,000 job, she was not supportive. She didn't see the vision that I saw. And I understand she was she was trying to be logical. She was trying to be reasonable. But I was young, I was young i was I was young twenties didn't have any kids, and I'm just thinking like if I'm gonna do this, I need to do this right now that's that's the way I was thinking if i'm gonna quit this job, I need to do this now. Uh, I can't wait till you know I'm forty and have two kids and like the feeling would have been different for me. I just knew I had to quit, and we were so out of alignment with me even quitting my job that it caused it caused us a lot of stress, you know and um that was one of the reasons I wanted that relationship to end because I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like she empowered me as a man. I didn't feel like she believed in me. I felt like she saw where I was at and she thought that that was a comfortable place and she wanted me to stay comfortable. And I wanted to get uncomfortable. I was, I was at a point in my life where I had to take a big risk and I needed someone, I needed someone to say, all right, baby, go for it. You might fail and you probably are going to fail, but you need to go for it. Like if this is your dream, You need to go for it. Like, come on. Like, I can get someone to push me in that way.
0: Yeah. uh, Can we, can we just like touch on that for a minute? Cause I think that's such an important, like I hear a lot of women today trying to sort of sort out, like, how do I challenge my man? How do I push him forward? How do I support him in the things that he really wants to be supported in? But also how do I challenge him when I see him, you know, not playing at 100% not playing you know the game that i know he's capable of and, you know and they're wanting to be able to support him and i think for a lot of guys out there it's a very fine line right and so what i hear you saying is that there there was this very specific moment where you wanted to be supported you wanted to be challenged you know by your partner can you maybe just speak to that dynamic a little bit in terms of from your personal experience, what you feel a man needs in those moments in terms of support and challenge from his partner? Okay.
1: Um, Yeah, I I can only speak to my experience. You know, every man is different, but man, for me, I think I've had four or five like major relationships throughout my life, Uh, high school sweetheart, college sweetheart, directly out of college. um, uh, And the one I have now, so four. So I've had four like major, major relationships. Like, I need to be pushed. I need I need to be I need to be challenged as a, a former athlete. You know, I told you about how my mother and father were. I need to be pushed. You know, if you see me missing workouts, I need you I need you to talk shit to me. Like, come on, Sly. This, you're going to let me work out more than you? You don't care anymore about how you look. I need that challenge. When I'm working on my book, you know, I want encouragement for it, but I need pressure. I need Hey, come on, write the greatest book you can write. Write this book better than that person like, and maybe it's the athlete in me that needs that but I mean, I've never I've never liked a woman who who presents no challenge And I'm not saying like a challenge to me. I'm saying challenge me. you know like challenge me to be my best.
0: Yeah, it's almost like challenging from a place of belief. You know, like I think one of one of the things that we talk about in the man talks community a lot is this idea of like calling each other forward. You know, and have surrounding yourself with men and women who will call you forward into the person that you say you're capable of becoming, right, or the person that you know, you know, you could be if you were to actualize more of that potential. And so, you know, I think our partners are people that are often so close to us that they see the potential and they see the possibility and they see the purpose that's within us that sometimes we can't see, you know? And so I I love what you're saying, because it's almost like find a way to push and challenge your partner But always do it from a place of belief, because maybe can you just speak to like what you feel the line is where it it tips over into this space of of criticism or complaints or it can be very negative?
1: I think it depends on the culture. And that's one thing that Hmm. uh, in the next book I'm writing. So the next book I'm working on now is called Loving Yourself Properly. Um, And this book is all about self-love. And that's one one of the things I talk about is about culture and building culture. So the dynamic between a man and a woman is essentially a team thing. That's a culture, you know, or it could be a woman and a woman or man, you know, whatever people are doing these days. I don't judge, but it's no matter what, it's a culture. So the question we have to ask ourselves is what type of culture are we building? Are we allowing each other to make excuses? Are we allowing each other to not go for our dreams? Are we allowing each other to just go through the motions? What type of culture are we building? Because. Personally, that's not a culture I want to participate in. I want to participate in a culture that first is based in in love, it's based in compassion, it's based in, like you say, belief. Like, look, I believe in you. These are the things that you do well, and how can I help you do them better? But also, these are the things you don't do well. And if there's a way I can help you do them better, I will help you because I have that compassion and love for you. Um, And personally, push me, push me to be my best. And when you see that I'm not my best, you know, give me an ear. Like, let me talk to you. Let me talk to you about honesty. I think that's one thing a lot of men need is let me talk to you honestly and openly. You know, you look online and women claim online, they claim, oh, we want men to be honest, open and vulnerable. But then that's not true. Like, that's not how a lot of guys feel in real life when we try to talk to you. So I can tell you, because the the girl that I've been with, She'll let me talk to her honestly and openly. And she'll always let me keep a masculine frame. She'll never, I can just tell from the way she talks, she'll never look down on me. She lets me talk to her honestly and openly. And I, I think that's one of the things that a lot of men are looking for is, man, push me, but let let me be real with you. Let, when I'm struggling or when I'm not on my when I'm not on my game, let me tell you why. Let me be honest. And I don't think, you know, I was reading this book on leadership the other day. I think one of the best things you can do, because this book was aligning with me, I think one of the best things you can do is always acknowledge what people are doing with their effort. You know, we're talking about effort and trying at the beginning. I think you always want to try to acknowledge effort. Like For example, my partner, she just made a sandwich right before I came on here. But the bread we used was different. Like it was different bread. So the bread was like hard as hell. So I'm like, what is this bread? Like, what is this? Like, I can't eat this. So I, uh, I took, like, I, got, it was like an open, I ate it like an open face sandwich. I just got rid of the bread. So when I get done with this, with this call with you, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to tell her that I appreciate her trying. And even when I was eating the food, I talked about the things that did go good. Like she had some onions on there, the t- real tomatoes, all the other things that the, the flavor profile was really good. So I, I really think just trying to even if there is a problem, or even if something goes goes wrong, just trying to encourage the effort for what you see going well. I think that goes a long way, man. Just trying to trying to acknowledge people's effort.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree, and I think you know, I think the research backs that up too about being able to express compassion. You know, a lot of the work that. Dr. John Gottman has done, has just reaffirmed that like the number one most important pillar within within relational dynamics is is appreciation. How we actually show appreciation uh, or don't show appreciation dictates the quality and the depth of, of the connection that we feel with our partner. And so, um, you know, I love what you're saying is it really resonates with that. I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit more. I know we're like Going a little bit in in the direction of relationships and some of these dynamics, um, but I'm I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to like you you mentioned masculine structure there, and and having that having that container for you to operate in within the context of a relationship, and I'm curious you can speak a little bit to what that feels like for you, like how do you feel aligned as a as a man? When do you feel in your masculine, and what are some of the pieces that take you out of that?
1: I know that there's a lot of talk right now in our generation about equal rights, equal pay, feminism. I can have compassion for and respect that movement. One thing about my ideologies personally is I personally don't like anything that is divisive. That's just my own personal belief. Um, I'm not a religious person. I believe that a lot of religion is very divisive. I'm not really into politics, although I do look just to get uh, an overwhelming, you know, try to get like a uh, an overarching understanding of what's going on. But I don't really care for it because it it feels divisive. Race relations in America. There's a lot of racial movements. I'm a a black male. There's a lot of racial movements. I think a lot of them are um, devices. And I I totally have compassion for those people who are who are, uh, you know, preaching it because, I don't want anyone to be marginalized. I don't want anyone to, to feel like they're up against, you know, like there's an oppressor. And I'm totally aware of, you know, this is February Black History Month. I totally understand that at one point in this country, the laws were set where, I mean, ra- racism was institutionalized, you know, and, and I understand that. But where I'm at in my life personally, with what I see and what the choices I make, I don't want to subscribe to anything that is totally divisive. Um, whether that's like an ideology like that or even just a term like, you know, like I said, masculine frame. Um, so with that being said, I believe that every person has masculine energy and feminine energy inside of them. This is just what I believe. For me to be my happiest, I think that I try to naturally stay in my my masculine frame. And I think naturally, when I say the word naturally. I think that is what comes to me from like a subconscious level. I don't think it's something that I tried to plot or plan out. So to me, I try not to subscribe to anything that is like very like strict or, you know, divisive. I just I just wanted to put that out there so people who don't know me could kind of understand that about me. So. I feel like my job in my situation is to lead my situation, to lead my household. My son will be born in two weeks. I feel like it's my job to create a culture and to be the driving component of the culture in the household. With that being said, I don't feel like that means as a leader or as a driving force that that marginalizes my son's voice or my girl's voice. I believe that a good leader allows everyone and creates space for everyone to be heard, to express their ideas, to take leadership when they feel the need to and to express themselves openly. So to me, being being in my masculine frame for my situation means being a leader. Not caring about. Democrat, republic, black, white, feminism, maleism, not caring about any of that, not caring about anything on the external because I can't control any of that. The only thing I can control is the attitude, the energy and the effort I'm going to take each and every day. And that's what I want to bring to my culture. I do tap in to my feminine energy as well, because my partner, she loves these rom-coms, these like these romantic, cheesy comedy movies. So I used to be when I was younger, I was just like, oh, no, nah, this is I'm not watching this. I'm a football player. This is corny. But now I'm like, okay, let's watch it, you know, and I'll get into the characters. We'll talk about it. I mean, we've cried over some of the movies before, like the notebook. I ain't gonna lie. It got me, you know? So I think that being rigid in any one way or the other, I think it's bad for anyone really to be, you know, rigid in anything I think is, is, is a path to suffering. So I choose to free myself. I choose to free my energy and I choose to Kind of stay in that frame that I'm going to try to choose my energy. I'm going to try to choose my effort that day. I'm going to try my best to choose my attitude. And then no matter what, I'm going to be open. I'm going to be open to what my partner is bringing to the table or what my kid is going to bring to the table because being a leader doesn't just mean, oh, you're in charge all the time and nobody else's voice matters. I think that's the worst kind of leadership. I think that's Mm -hmm. the worst leadership. So that's. That's kind of my ever evolving ideology. And if you bring me back on in six months, this may all change. Like I reserve the right to change this because once this kid comes, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> who knows? Uh,
0: I was, I was going to say, man, I was like, uh, I can't wait to have you back on the show in six months once your son is born and uh, and just dive into some of these other topics. You know, I think uh, we were really getting into a, a good place. Unfortunately, just due to time, we're going to have to wrap up here in a minute. But you know, I, I I love I love what you're saying because what you're saying is is really again it comes back to alignment for what what you know functions well for you what allows you to function well within your relationship within the world you know, within your purpose and I think that's such a core foundational piece and you know I think something that I always say to clients is that elimination is found through sorry alignment is found through elimination. it's just the idea of what you were so articulately unpacking before, which is, is that like how we find alignment is by removing things that are standing in the way, you know, removing things that are weighing us down or holding us back, you know, the bad habits and the, you know, the unhealthy eating or the not going, you know, whatever it is. And it's in those moments where we remove those things that we find clarity on the principles and the values and the merits that make up who we are, and the characteristics. And so... Anyways, man, I, I mean, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I love your work. I love your writing. Um, I, I would ac- absolutely love to have you back on the show. Just one last question before we jump off. How has the knowledge of becoming a father changed your life? Oh, man. Uh, That's just a late question to end things off on. <laughs>
1: I, I want to go on record and say, just like I told my, my partner who, I mean, she's such a strong woman, man. She's been carrying a child and it's been crazy to just watch her belly grow and watch her body change. And just watch how, like, literally we have, um, I've like watched her just build this relationship with this, this human who like, it can't even do anything yet, you know? And um, it's really changed my perspective of a lot of things, man. So I I think... It's really just made me a little bit more open minded. I just want to completely admit that when it comes to parenting, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm completely clueless, um, but I'm just open to learning, and I'm just open to the experience. And the number one thing that um, I do want to bring bring my son is is just compassion. I just want to have compassion for his journey, and I just want to try to have a, have fun with him, you know. And I just want to be available to him. That's another reason I chose this career because. I remember when I was in my 20s and I was working that job, none of the, none of my coworkers could see their kids. They were missing basketball games and after school stuff. And, you know, they had a babysitter forever. And I understand, you know, you have to do what you have to do to, to make the ends meet and to survive. But I just was always thinking like, man, I just want to be available for my kids. And I just want to be present and I want to be active um, in his life. And like fatherhood is such an important thing to me to to be present. Like, I think that's one of the most important things that I don't see people talking about. Um, And American society is fatherhood and the the impactfulness of having a a strong leadership, but not just strong, like do what I say, but strong in the fact that I'm going to love you and I'm going to give you compassion. And I'm going to give you a space to be open to talk to me about what you're going through, what you're dealing with or what you're feeling, you know? So, that's the culture I'm trying to build for my son. I just want to give him a space where he can just grow into his own self without me forcing him to be what religion I am, or what you know, uh, you know, democratic or Republican, or you know, just the things we we're talking about. I don't want to force him to be anything. Um, I, he will come into a culture. Um, his mother works hard. She she's in she's on her fitness. She's committed. She's committed in her career. She's a very loving person, and you know, his father works hard and um, puts a lot of effort into the world and and believes and has dreams. And so I just hope he comes in and and sees some of that energy and he just kind of makes his own path. And I just want to encourage him and push him. That's it. You know, that's really it. It's very simple to me.
0: So good, man. So good. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. And um, for everyone that's out there this morning, check out some of Sylvester's work. We'll have the uh, link to his website in the show notes and some of the books that he referenced. Uh, Care Package specifically was one of the ones that we we dove into and Free Your Energy. Um, don't forget to leave us a rating and review and share this episode with just one person that you know would enjoy some of the content in here, especially this concept and the deep dive into the concept of alignment. Uh, And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing, signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.